the results from the kettlebell swing come from the hormonal response from the exercise in the hours and days that follow your workout. Well, the hormonal response, as we know from research on heavy weightlifting, hormonal responses don't really happen with light weights. They just don't because they require a stimulus that has the body shaking in its boots a little bit. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. And that is the story of human progress. One inch at a time. I'm your host, Joe DiStefano, and you're listening to Stack. Hey guys, and welcome to another Friday show. I hope you guys are doing awesome. Uh, I'm excited to chat today. I have been uh, getting very positive feedback from the last two Friday shows where I have shared two of my favorite workouts with you guys and kind of led you through them. And I hope that you guys are getting a lot out of those. I think that uh, coaching is very, you know, of course, every person on the planet learns in a slightly different way. Some people will learn more uh, by writing or by, uh, you know, viewing kinesthetically. But some people really do well from an auditory standpoint. And I think coaching, uh, as you may have heard on Tuesday's show with Tony Blauer, a lot of times it's all about what is said and the tonality of what is said. And I feel like as a coach, that was one of my strengths during my a uh, lot, lot of years in the trenches working with people um, was was my ability to kind of uh, speak to them in a way that would allow them to understand what we were going for. And um, I hope you guys are experiencing that on those last two shows. Also this week, I've been a little bit more active again on Instagram. Of course, I've kind of Uh, I don't think I posted for any of December, and I kind of was, you know, getting back on the horse a little bit in January. But um, yeah, I've been a little more active and and really, you know, getting into kettlebells again, kind of uh, from a, you know, from a PR standpoint or from a, you know, uh, social media standpoint, just because I think kettlebell swings are just so magical. And as you guys know, if you are a regular listener of this show, when I first moved, uh, it took about six weeks for us to get our things from California. And um, in that time, you know, I was able to acquire from Kettlebell Kings a single kettlebell that weighed about 100 pounds. And so I think it was, um, God, my brain is, I haven't had much coffee today. It might have been 96 pounds, whatever the heck it was. Uh, but it was a really heavy bell. And so when you only have one bell and it's 100 pounds, you know, all of a sudden, that's that's how it used to be. You know, that was kettlebells a hundred years ago. So uh, it was really another sort of refreshing uh, lesson that the kettlebell is the teacher and we are the student. And I think a lot of the kettlebell training. I guess one of the reasons I've been kind of preaching on Instagram about why kettlebells need to be heavy is because it is such a magical exercise. But to get the benefits that we all know exist and that we all understand and that we all expect to get when we do a kettlebell swing, you really have to understand the nature of what's happening physiologically. And the sort of short answer is the results from the kettlebell swing come from the hormonal response from the exercise in the hours and days that follow your workout. Well, the hormonal response, as we know from uh, research on heavy weightlifting, hormonal responses don't really happen with light weights. 
They just don't because they require a stimulus that has the body shaking in its boots a little bit. You know, just like any hormetic stress. You go in a sauna because it's hot and your body has to deal with that adversity. You go in the cold because your body then has to regulate against all odds. You get your heart rate up because it's more, it's elevated much higher than it would be if you didn't go through that artificial creation of stress. And so when you think about adaptation, it depends on, it is really only stimulated by enough stress to elicit change. So if you do 10 jumping jacks, that might not be a big enough stimulus weighed against whatever else you're doing in the day to create change in the body. But when we look at what causes profound physiological change, it's the hormonal effect of the workout. And generally, that means the number of motor units and the amount of muscles that are recruited and under what guise and under what demands that elicit the largest responses. So in other words, I think a lot of workouts that get us sweaty and sore that are the old like, you know, kind of circuit training where it's like 10 of these, 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 and there's 20 different exercises. I think a lot of the fatigue that we experience is is more central nervous system fatigue in terms of all the different exercises we had to learn the intensity that they were performed at. But each exercise on its own really wasn't recruiting a lot of motor units or a lot of muscle fibers because the exercise was always changing and the intensity was high, but the actual load and the actual physical output was actually rather low. And so when you look at that cycle, it's an effective heart rate exercise. So it can produce fitness through heart rate, but it's not creating the same physiological adaptation in the muscular system that is then going to carry over to longevity in terms of structure, in terms of power. You know, when somebody gets old, they, they begin to go down the stairs a lot slower before they just give up on the stairs. So there's this like gradual decline, right? And that decline is the reduction in motor unit recruitment, the reduction in efficiency around muscle recruitment. And of course, when we get less recruitment, we get more atrophy and that's aging. And so as we get older, we slow down and eventually we die, right? (laughs) And eventually we're incapacitated or whatever, right? So, um, when we look at this, and interestingly, from the stairs analogy, um, you know, oftentimes going downstairs can actually be more, uh, that can go first. So in other words, an old person, you know, like my 96-year-old grandmother, who it wouldn't surprise me, she's unbelievable, wouldn't surprise me if she would, you know, she was still going up and downstairs um, if her if her brain was in better condition at this point, you know. So what goes first, your brain or your body? Um, you know, depends on how you treat yourself. But when we learn from old people, and I don't mean to be like rude, just calling them old people, but um, that's whatever the way I'm feeling right now. <laughs> so, uh, but when we look at older adults, oftentimes they stop going downstairs before they stop going upstairs. So in other words, when we see this degradation of performance and integrity and and muscle fiber recruitment, et cetera, it often 
stops us from what does that tell us well that's the eccentric component right that's the eccentric component so what's more you know dangerous and when we look at like runners as an example uh they actually lose a lot of eccentric hamstring strength which is why it's so important for runners to focus on hamstrings uh, because their hamstrings are often too long. So it's not that they need stretching, they need strength. But because running is really this kind of, you know, lazy activity of controlled falling, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but ultimately long distance running is fall, catch yourself, fall, catch yourself, fall, catch yourself, fall, catch yourself. So the body picks up on that and says, hey, let's just weaken those hamstrings because that's creating some drag uh, in terms of my ability to fall and catch myself over and over and over again for 100 miles. But um, when we look at the fact that the, the downstairs, even if we have an injury, sometimes going downstairs can be really challenging. Uh, that's the eccentric component. And interestingly, as it relates to the kettlebell swing and specifically the heavy, heavy, heavy kettlebell swing, uh, I think that's really where the magic is. I think that backswing is, is really the, a big part of the benefit of the exercise. And anybody that's ever swung a hundred pound bell knows this. So when that bell, it's all fun and games. And, you know, a lot of us are really good at getting some, some high level contraction of the hip and really moving a, a bell. But if you swing a hundred pound bell, that bell comes back like a pendulum and it can kind of take you with it. If you're not careful, it's one of the biggest adjustments I noticed when I started swinging a hundred pound bell in my yard in Venice, California, uh, was my ability to ground myself was the thing that was really limiting at first. Interestingly, once I developed the ability to ground myself and swing for five to 10 reps at a time with 106 pounds, guess what happened to my 53-pound kettlebell swing, which I needed to do for the RKC event? It got really easy because the power or the strength, that groundedness that comes from controlling a 106-pound bell that's coming back at you, when that weight was cut in half, I was able to really whip it and rip it back up in the other direction and throw that kettlebell right back over my head again because I'm speaking snatches, not swings, if we're talking about the RKC. So I was swinging a 106-pound bell, and all of a sudden, that 53 went right over my head with ease. But had I not gone to the 100, that 53 might have continued to be heavy. So there's a lot to be gained from heavy weights, and I think a lot of it's in the backswing. And interestingly, I was reading some research, and specifically there was a study about Stu, from Stu McGill's group uh, that actually deduced or concluded that, and I don't want to mess this up, so I'm digging real quick through my, through my notes, um, which I didn't really prepare for this show, but this was actually some notes I made on my phone. But Here's what Stu McGill had to say. Uh, some unique loading patterns discovered during the kettlebell swing included the posterior shear of the L4 vertebra on L5, which is the opposite in polarity to a traditional lift. Thus, quantitative analysis provides an insight into why many individuals credit the kettlebell swing with restoring and enhancing back health and function. So when we look at this, what's the biggest difference? I believe a lot of that posterior shear that you don't even have to know what that means is what's creating the benefit. And I feel Stu McGill may even believe, might, might even agree. A lot of that, I think, is the result of that backswing that you just don't get from a traditional lift. It's one of the biggest differences in you know doing a barbell hand clean versus a kettlebell swing. It might be similar at the hip. 
but you don't get near the same backswing that you need to control. And so that posterior shear, another reason, uh, and one of the wonderful things about just being a coach, and I think that this is really being lost, I think, in this age of uh, technicians. So uh, the other day, um, Tony Blower talked about the coach versus technician. And it's so interesting because Stu McGill, you know, on this study, and I think the study was a couple of years old, is talking about, you know, this posterior shear of the L4 and L5 vertebra that is at the opposite in polarity to a traditional lift is the reason why the back is is so great. Well, you know what's funny? I knew that 10 or 15 years ago as a coach that didn't know the first thing about L4, L5, and opposite polarities of traditional lifting. But what I did know is that I could feel in my own body that the kettlebell swing was beneficial. And specifically, why I suspect that Stu McGill might have been referring to the backswing, or he was looking at the kettlebell swing in general, but why I think the backswing was likely the greatest contribution to that. Um, either the, the postures or the activation that was created by the backswing that was then projected again in the forward direction, or the backswing itself. I would have to defer to uh, somebody really smart like Stu for that. But here's the thing. When I was just a coach working with, you know, 50 people a week all day, watching them swing and hearing their complaints and hearing their wins and hearing everything else, I noticed that the kettlebell swing did this. And you know what else I noticed? The ski erg did this, which is interesting because the ski erg is essentially the backswing. You are doing once again a hinge, but you're ripping it in the opposite direction. So it's interesting how, and I think it's one of the most important things. And, you know, I think I've said on some shows, you know, do you want a coach that, you know, has 15 certifications or a coach that has 15 years of experience? Because the life expectancy of a personal trainer in this industry is between three and five years. In other words, however many certifications they get, there's a good chance in five years, they're not going to be a trainer anymore. They might go sell insurance or, you know, something else. And secondly, there's a lot of transplants into the fitness industry. So somebody sold insurance for 30 years, lost 20 pounds, decided to become a trainer. And some of those people are the most successful in terms of client results that are out there. And I learned that after managing 100 franchises in 20 states. I noticed that trainers often didn't get the best results with people, but somebody that transplanted into this industry, lost some weight or did something crazy with their physical body actually were the people to get the best results. And so back to my little story here, I think experience is everything. It's so much more important than understanding the L4, L5 posterior shear language working with people, listening closely, and seeing what works. And so it's exciting for me to see these research studies that have been really, you know, the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research has been doing a lot of studies on kettlebells. And I think for good reason, everyone loves them and everyone suspects that they're amazing and knows in their heart that they're amazing. And, you know, the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research is just doing uh, the work to ensure that, um, you know, we know why. So that's really, really awesome. Now, Back to the swing, all of these benefits really depend on a stimuli. So one of the reasons I guess I'm coming out today and, and this week um, is because the, um, shall we call the, the kettlebell squat to front raise that often happens where you know, the, uh, you know, the kettlebell is more or less front raised by the shoulders, uh, you know, and the hips aren't really doing much. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of forward projection of the knees towards the toes, which I'm not against generally, but in the kettlebell swing, the shin needs to stay tall because that's how you get into your hip. 
And if the knees are projecting forward, you're using your quads and turning your kettlebell swing into a quad extension. And often that's where the kettlebell needs that shoulder support so that it can decelerate it or accelerate it into the overhead position if that's the type of swing you're doing. But those swings, it is, it is, you're just not getting all of these things that the research is showing us is beneficial to the exercise. So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, reading how great or how fast and how powerful a Ferrari is and getting in your Prius and driving around the block and, and thinking you're getting the exact same workout and getting the exact same results. So in fact, um, in the case of the kettlebell swing, not only, um, and maybe if I can keep the Prius analogy going, reading the magazine about the Ferrari, then getting in your Prius driving around the block real fast, thinking you're getting the same benefit, heaven forbid you actually ever got into a Ferrari and treated the gas pedal the same way as you do in your Prius, right? So this is actually one of the big reasons I'm I'm on this you know high horse today because not only is good the enemy of great and not only does safe not mean good in relation to the Prius analogy or the kettlebell squat to front raise, but you're actually putting yourself in danger if your brain ever said, hey, Joe, you know, it's time to go heavier. You've been swinging that 10-pound bell a lot, and it's time to go to 25. Well, if you take the pattern and you take the learning from your practice driving the Prius around the block and all of a sudden jump into a Ferrari, you are at a significantly higher risk for injury than you otherwise would have been if you just progressed slowly. Now, the good news is my team is is really pressuring me and I'm I'm going to, you know, give into some peer pressure here and I'm going to do a 5-day course for you guys and it's going to be live with me 1 hour a day 5 days in a row and we are going to go from zero to hero. We're going to go from zero to kettlebell swing in 5 hours. And now that I'm saying it out loud, you know what's going to happen. I've been kind of stewing on this, but I just think it's time because it is so vital. So if you want to be informed on that, make sure you follow me on Instagram at Coach Jodi. But more importantly, get on my email list, which is coachjodi.com slash newsletter. Or you can just go to the homepage and click the little banner at the top that says free coffee. It's actually not free coffee. It's just you're signing up for my email list, but the free coffee gets clicks. So how's that sound? Now, last thing I want to tack on, and then we're going to dive into this, this episode, is that the big difference between the Prius around the block and the Ferrari on the racetrack is breath. And breath is what keeps you safe. But one of the reasons why we need to progress into the kettlebell swing really thoughtfully is that oftentimes our breath is not ready for the Ferrari. So our breath is our seatbelt. Our breath is our uh, handling of the steering wheel. Our breath is everything that keeps us really, really safe while we are driving. And if you've been driving a Prius, uh, you know, you haven't really felt the demands of driving around a racetrack in a Ferrari and don't know why, or you don't realize that the Ferrari actually uses like a four point harness for a racetrack, not just the, you know, the belt strap and the, and the lap belt and the chest strap, right? So the, the Prius seatbelt just comes across the body and you go to work, right? But the Ferrari on the racetrack seatbelt, you've got a four point harness because you need to, uh, you know, you need to stabilize the entire body and, and it's much more likely you're going to get tossed around and in different types of directions. And that's exactly how the breath works. Most of us breathe into our chest and mouth breathe a bit, especially at night. 
And not enough of us understand 360-degree expansion, but the kettlebell swing, the Ferrari, in my analogy, if you take a you know you take a Prius seatbelt into a racetrack Ferrari, you're going to end up in the passenger seat on the first turn, and the same thing can happen. And so, a lot of people, another reason I'm on the horse is because a lot of people don't understand, and maybe they're reading my posts and they think they got to go big or go home but they might not have the capacity to breathe correctly in a way that would make the Ferrari safe for them right now. So I'm going to go through some of the hows and whys and what to do on this show. So just before I do, I wanted to send a little bit of a shout out to my good friends at Traeger Grills. These pellet grills are simply amazing. And if you guys head on over to traegergrills.com slash stacked, you're going to have the opportunity to check these out as well as jump on some offers like financing at, I believe, 0% and, and all sorts of ways that can make it more easy to get one of these incredible grills for your home. Because right now, we're all spending a ton of time at home. We all need to grow a greater connection to our food. And honestly, the Traeger has been game-changing. I first stumbled onto Traeger uh, when we got one for our Runga events. Uh, And then, of course, I've now got one at home. And it has been just unbelievable. And so head on over to TraegerGrills.com. That's T-R-A-E-G-E-R-G-R-I-L-L-S.com slash stacked. And while you're there, and especially if you're not really in need of like a super huge full-size grill, it's still worth checking out because right now, as you as you may know, we recently moved to Austin, and I am prepping for UT football. I'm going to start going to a lot of games over at UT, both baseball and football and as many sports as I can get tickets to. And so what I'm looking at right now from Traeger are their travel or portable grills. So if you head on over to TraegerGrills.com slash stacked, and even if you're not into the huge pellet grills for your house, maybe you just got one, head on over and check out the portable grills under shop. There's one called the Scout that I'm looking at and one that's actually called the Tailgater that I am considering for my upcoming UT football um, spectator career. So Head on over, check those guys out. You will not regret it. Now, let us dive in here. Um, Let's see, where do I want to begin, team? Well, let's see. One thing I want to just kind of tack on with the uh, Prius and, and Ferrari analogy is that one of the other big things is that the kettlebell swing done properly requires... Yeah, great glute activation and 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 real sound breath, which is what we're going to dive into in just a second. But the other thing that it requires is a multi-geared transmission. So in other words, one of the biggest differences between the kettlebell squat to front raise and the true hard style Russian kettlebell swing is that the front raising kettlebell squat is more or less in first gear the entire time. So in other words, the you know the kettlebell is is more or less being front raised simultaneously to the hip coming up, but the two activities are not really related. So and then on the way down, there's really not much of a backswing because eccentrically we're guiding it from the shoulders as well. And there's more of a squat as opposed to a hinge. But essentially, there is low-grade first-gear Prius-style muscle activity through the entire 
exercise. In fact, if you were ever hooked up to, you know, uh, some kind of muscle testing device, you would probably have about the same low grade muscle activity throughout the entire exercise, right? More like doing push-ups. But when you look at the kettlebell swing and why it's such an amazing performance and athlete builder is because in reality, when you are amidst the backswing, you're in first or second gear. But what happens when that backswing reaches its furthest place, its, its most rear and most posterior part of the swing, we quickly pin it and go all the way into fifth gear. So it's explode back to first gear, explode back to first gear, explode back to first gear instead of first, 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 first. Does that make sense? So of course you wouldn't be able to shift in a car as quickly as you you would shift your own shift your own physiology, but that's the big difference and that explosion followed by relaxation is first of all the key to power and motor unit recruitment. Just think of Bruce Lee's one inch punch, right? So Bruce Lee can, you know, punch a hole through wood or break wood in half or punch through a wall uh, from one inch away. And so that is maximal contraction, maximal relaxation, maximal contraction, maximal relaxation. A lot of sports are, are, are capitalized on that in terms of uh, the best players. So I was chatting the other day with, with an NFL guy and he was, we were talking about how the combine rarely produces the best athletes and just look at Tom Brady. He was like the hundred and first pick in the draft. And now he's the greatest of all time because how many times someone can bench press 225 doesn't tell you anything about their on field performance and their ability to contract, relax, contract, relax, move, move their eyes and all the things that make a football player great. So that's one of the big things here. Now, when we want to get into that activity, the prerequisite, of course, is having a car, having an engine that is able to sprint, that is able to explode. And so a lot of people, especially older adults, don't have that ability to even get into that highly explosive state that would create the pendulum swing of the kettlebell swing, right? So how do we practice that? Well, I would say we don't practice it with light bells because we'll end up recruiting muscles and doing that low-grade tonic swing. I think exercises that can teach this are are exercises like the broad jump or the standing long jump, um, where we essentially are, are, are maximally contracting a lot of our lower body and then shaking out between reps. So if you're new to kettlebell swings and you aspire to be a, a kettlebeller, Start with some broad jumps. So if you're in your garage, that means jump as far as you possibly can, walk back to the start or turn around. Jump as far as you possibly can, outward, forward, horizontally, walk back to where you started or turn around and do it again. That will help you to kind of develop this sort of explosiveness from your hips. And if you cannot jump at least your height, you're probably not ready for the kettlebell swing. If you cannot horizontally jump at least your height, you're probably not capable of doing a proper kettlebell swing. So for those people, I would say keep broad jumping. And if you're tempted to do something like the kettlebell swing in your workout to build intensity, like if you're following a workout plan or something and it's like 10 swings, just swap it out for medicine ball slams. 
that are almost impossible to do wrong, but they're different enough from the swing that they're probably not going to screw up your swing technique when you really begin to learn the hard style program. Does that make sense? I hope so. So that's number one, and, and it's important to understand the different gears. Now, once you have the gears, or as you are building the gears, breath is your safety net. You wouldn't get into the Ferrari without a seatbelt on, I hope. Now, when we look at this, when we look at breath, we need to look at one thing, and that is expansion. So, I've chatted about uh, a lot of things, but one of the things I covered in my TED Talk, which we'll link to in the show notes, um, is this need for 360-degree expansion of the torso for proper breathing. And, you know, all I have to do is look at my little baby boy when he's breathing and he's getting expansion through his, you know, lower stomach and even into his back. And and that's belly breathing, right? And that's that's what we want. But in a modern world, many of us, are not doing that. And there's a few reasons for this. Number one, if we are, uh, you know, under a lot of stress or not exercising or sleeping with our mouth open, we develop a pattern of breathing into our chest or breathing shallow. Now, one thing that's interesting that is an important note here as we begin to understand this uh, pathology or how we're going to get us out of this problem of not having the proper breathing mechanics even to do a kettlebell swing safely is to understand a couple of things. The first is the fascial system, and we'll link in the show notes to a couple of shows where we've dove deep into the fascial system. But essentially, think of fascia as this spider web that is over your entire body under your skin. And this spider web grows and binds you into the patterns that you utilize the most. So when you look at the fascial system of a baseball player, you'll see fascial spider webs working from left hip to right arm if they're a right-throwing athlete. So the fascial system actually aims to build efficiency in the muscular system through dropping these spider webs that facilitates a more enhanced line of pull so that activities require less energy. So it kind of goes back to some of the, um, you know, when we're changing up the exercises all the time and the body's always learning, we're not always developing a fascial system in that case because our body doesn't really have a consistent message. But when you're constantly doing swings, you're constantly doing presses, you're constantly doing these timeless exercises that carry over to any and everything else, the fascial system is actually being facilitated or is being developed in a way that's that's conducive for longevity. And you're actually getting better and better and better and better and better and more efficient at those activities that are most associated with longevity as opposed to never gaining that fossil system uh, and doing a different set of exercises every single day. So now this is important because it binds us into the positions that we utilize the most, which is which is really why I've promoted things like walking 10,000 steps a day for 30 straight days before starting an exercise program. Because it's the idea is to prime the pump and to kind of hopefully break down some of the dysfunctional fascia, like the fascia in our hips and around our backs and in our shoulders and in our necks 
that thinks that we want to sit in a chair forever because, you know, our body adapts to the stimuli that are imposed on it most frequently. And for most of us, our sport is our chair and it's sitting. And so the fossil system gets us better at that, which is what actually creates forward head posture, uh, bad backs, tight hips. You know, you can stretch them all you want, but if you don't stop sitting, that fossil system is just going to keep laying down spider webs. So Walking 10,000 steps a day is a prerequisite. You can break down some of that, of course, manual therapy and someone digging out your adhesions on a regular basis is a great idea, but we got to prime the pump somehow. Now, if we think about this in relates as it relates to breathing and how my little baby boy has no problem breathing into his belly, but you know, if I had a really stressful week, I would start breathing into my chest. And I, if I was an accountant, I would probably be a chest breather and have 10 pounds to lose. Because when we've been stuck in a chest, open mouth, breath posture, the fascial system, if we've been there a while, has bound us there. And so when I say things on my workout programs with you guys, and I say things like breathe behind the shield, what I'm saying is tighten your stomach and breathe behind that tight ab wall, but you might not have the ability to even get air into that place. So when we think about 360 degree expansion at rest, that's because when we tighten everything up during something like the kettlebell swing, I know that that 360 degree expansion is about to become 360 degree pressure. When we're tightening, we're not going to get the same expansion, but if I've seen the expansion at rest, I know it's there during your work and therefore that expansion is replaced by pressure and that's the four point seatbelt in the Ferrari. That is that 360 degree support of the spine that is our most sacred thing to protect and the most unbelievable mechanical development in the history of life on this planet is my guess. And maybe that's a little much, but it's pretty damn impressive the way the spine works. Anyway, that's what makes kettlebell swings and other exercises like them safe is breathing behind the shield and creating good expansion that again, in turn becomes pressure. Now, and that's intra-abdominal pressure. That's internal pressure. That's your lungs, ribs, and internal organs pressing against your ab wall and your ab wall, external obliques, multif- all these different stabilizers in your spine pushing back. And that, my friends, is how you stay safe during lifting. Now, on top of the other most important thing outside of understanding that fascia binds us together into the patterns that we utilize most is this phenomenon. The lungs are elastic. The lungs are elastic. And the reason is, is because it makes breathing sort of happen to us. So in other words, they actually take a little bit of effort to breathe, which is perhaps why when we're in compromised postures like sitting, we just decide to breathe into our neck and chest. But the, the lungs are elastic because what happens is that means when we inhale properly, they expand and the exhale happens to us because they're an elastic. They naturally want to go back and that creates the pump. But the interesting thing about an elastic is It actually requires force to stretch. It actually requires force to stretch, which means the lungs actually resist air. (laughs) 
It means the lungs actually resist inhalation, but that enables it to do the exhalation for you. Why would that be? Well, it's what God, force, evolution created for us. But I believe the real reason is that when we talk about this 360 degree expansion on top, on top of a myriad of reasons, if you just think about the fact that the lungs actually require force and resist inhalation, what also happens when we breathe properly? Our ribs expand. All these things expand. So that pressure is pushing out against the ribs, expanding the torso, and creating even more of this pump. Now, if we are the prior example and we've been breathing into our neck and chest and we've been breathing with our mouth and our air hasn't been going deep and the fossil system binds us into the patterns that we utilize most, well, it actually means that you might really be uh, stuck, literally. In other words, if you haven't been getting that rib expansion that comes with a proper breath and you've been breathing into your upper chest and neck, your fascia's keeping you there. Your ribs might not move at all. Your ribs might be spider-webbed and bound into their current position, and it's unlikely that any amount of just breathing, well, unless you're real patient, is going to break up that fascia without some facilitation. So we get stuck where we are. And so that's an important progression that a lot of people need to go through to make their kettlebell training safe. Now, again, the fossil system sometimes needs to be worked on by a professional manual therapist. Um, but the best thing we can do is break up these problems, is to go walk every hour, is to get up to do really, you know, if you heard my podcast with Mike Fitch, which we'll link to in the show notes over at coachjodi.com slash 103, which is the show notes page for this episode animal flow get you through and really get your fossil trains and, and fossil webs opened up. So this is a really important nugget. Now, identifying this is an important step because if you're not progressing or you're having trouble breathing during the kettlebell swing or you're not feeling it, it's probably because you're a little stuck. So go to broad jumps, go to kettlebell carries, go to animal flow, go to kettlebell deadlifts, go to whatever you need to do to, to kind of facilitate some greater activation without the risk of a dynamic weight swinging between your legs for a little while. And now, here are the things that I would do if I was in that stuck position. If you're a guy, maybe you want to take your shirt off. And if you're a girl, you can if you're, you know, if, if it suits you. Uh, maybe you have a sports bra on or something like that. Uh, but essentially what we want to do, and I think people are walking by my house, looking in my window. I'm sitting here at my desk, like, you know, squeezing my own belly here. But essentially, let's say I'm looking down at my bare chest and ribs. What I'm going to do is take some breaths. Let's do this three or four times. Just see what kind of expansion we're going to get. Of course, you can do this laying on the floor. That's probably better. I am sitting in a chair, so I am breaking my own rules. But it's just my cord isn't that long. <laughs> so see where your air is going. Now what I want you to do is take both hands 
and go to your kind of lower ribs. There's some floating ribs down there. We'll start on the right, I guess. A lot of people are tight on the right. So what we're going to do is actually go in, and with both hands, I want you to literally grab as much skin and fat or whatever as you can, and literally pull it away from your ribs. And now as you're pulling big chunks of this tissue away from your ribs, inhale. And then move a centimeter and keep it going. If it feels tender, you know, that's good. You're, you're ripping up some adhesions. So move another centimeter, pull it away. You can put some force behind it. You can wrap it around your thumb if you have enough of it. Move another centimeter. And you might be kind of getting towards your, your sternum now. Keep working your way there. There's going to be less fat there for most of you. And just keep breathing this out, guys. And work your way all the way to the other rib. Keep working your way over. Humming is great for the vagus nerve. It's great for the relaxation response. You want to stay relaxed here. Mm. I know it's probably weird on the podcast, me humming. But keep working your way over. How did that feel, guys? How did that feel kind of working through? You might feel a little bit improvement, a little bit of improvement in your thoracic spine and your rotation. Now what I want you to do is take both hands and just press all over your belly and your internal organs. If you feel tenderness, go a little lighter, but stay there. And so just push on your organs, push your fingers beneath your ribs and just kind of move them around a little bit. You're not going to hurt anything. Your liver's not going to get upset. In fact, with a proper breath, all of these internal organs should move two to three centimeters your adrenals in particular, which is, you know, where our stress response and cortisol is produced. A proper breath moves those things two to three centimeters. And guess what? An improper breath doesn't. But when you think about that being our stress center, that two to three inch movement with a proper breath probably is a nice little massage for those bad boys, probably keeps them relaxed. And when they're not getting that, they're, you know, we know they're 70% water. What happens to water that doesn't move? Well, it gets stagnant. It gets unhealthy. The same thing happens to our adrenals. And if we're producing cortisol all the time, we are sharpening the sword on both sides. All right, so we're still just pushing into our internal organs, pushing into our relaxed stomach. I know I've got some tenderness down in my hips. That might be from the workout yesterday. Spent a little bit. I had my heart rate. I got my heart rate to 200 beats a minute yesterday. That was the highest I'd seen in a while. And it was because I was working out with my, um, God, I don't even know how old he is, maybe 16-year-old brother-in-law who is a, you know, he's a really good uh, football player and that means soccer in Europe where he's, where he lives. And his aerobic system is just ridiculous. So, you know, we were doing a fan bike workout and, you know, obviously I was trying to kind of keep pace and uh, yeah, you know, I'm 36 years old and my heart rate was at 200 at my last two intervals. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, goes to prove the 220 minus your age thing is, is not accurate. 
And I hope you guys are still just kind of pressing around your belly. Now what I want you to do is massage your sternum. So what we're going to do here is just go right to your like solar plexus, you know, right to your middle of your chest. And I want you to just run your fingers up and down your your uh, collarbone. Excuse me, I keep saying collarbone, sternum. Sternum, guys. I want you to massage that sternum. There's often a lot of tension here. Do a couple deep breaths. Stay nice and relaxed. And this kind of self-massage is another kind of Ayurvedic principle where, you know, uh, Ayurvedic docs will recommend you have an oil in your shower. And so I'll keep some coconut oil in the bathroom and I'll go through a self-massage like this often, especially the upper traps, which are really tight for me right now. I'm touching them right now and it's not feeling good. Um, upper traps, my collarbones, as many of you know, I once separated my left collarbone on both ends. And so, you know, it's still just like pops and creates all sorts of junk in my system. And, um, so I always massage around that, which is where your sternum leads. And so if it does that to you, just go on up with it. Now get into the neck and kind of get right behind those collarbones and just kind of like press in there, dig your fingers in a little bit. If you find tender spots, just give them some love, send some light there. Taking some nice nasal breaths the whole time. I'm breathing a little louder than I normally would be because I'm trying to demonstrate a breath on an audio program. So you don't have to breathe loud. In fact, you should try to breathe as quietly as possible, but I'm doing that so you hear my breathing and then you remember to do it yourself. All right, now stand up if you're not already and just see how you feel. Like, how does that feel? I know I do this all the time and I feel better. You might feel more grounded. You might feel your feet are more firmly placed on the floor. You might feel that you can rotate side to side just a little bit better. And if you purse your lips like you're kissing somebody and pull some air in, I know I don't like mouth breathing, but it's the easiest way to get a deep breath. So if somebody is dealing with dysfunction, especially in the physical body, in other words, they are stuck, sometimes nasal breathing is just too calm. It doesn't provide the same power to expand those lungs and press on all the fascia we just manipulated a little bit. So purse your lips. Try to breathe as low as you can. Try to get it as deep as you can into your system. Let's do this five times. You should feel your back expand a little bit. I know I feel my lats engage a little bit when I do that kind of inhale. I feel my belly expand a little bit. Exhale through the nose so that we don't stress ourselves out. Hum it out. Couple more. If you want bonus points, you can actually Kegel during this activity. So what you do is you basically pull on your uh, anus and your sex organs at the same time. You kind of close down all those locks and then pull in with the uh, mouth. And that really is a lot of the engagement people need and a lot of the stuck energy. If you feel emotional, which is not impossible, 
lot of our emotion sits in our fascial system. In fact, seven times more of our fascial function or dysfunction is related to our emotional body than our physical body. So if you have adhesions in your fascia, there's seven times, it's seven times more likely to be coming from your mind and your emotions and your thoughts and being, you know, your traumas being stored in that fascia than it is like, you know, that workout you did last summer. All right. All right. Now, if you are laying down, another thing I want you guys to do, and this is a, a nice test for, um, if you are a chest breather, put your hands behind your head, like you're on the beach. And what I want you to do is inhale. And now keep your hands behind your head. So your pecs are actually on a little bit of stretch and exhale. If that creates an intense stretch for you in your pecs, you might be using your pecs and neck to breathe. If not, you might be breathing a little bit more healthfully. So let's do this a few more times. Inhale. And exhale. Do it through the mouth too, because I think it'll give that stress reflex just a little bit more mustard. Do this a couple more times. So I'm actually inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the mouth. So I switched it on you. Now, I kind of learned, and as you guys know, you know, no one's immune to this stuff. I had, uh, you know, I had a horrible injury a lot of years ago, and I had no idea how much trauma was stored in my body until I started to release it. And when I started to realize that I was, you know, at the time, like 150 pounds, trying to do 100 snatches in under five minutes with 53 pounds, this kind of stuff became really important. And one of the things, and this is where I wanted to kind of take this show, this is going to be the last exercise. When I identified that trauma and my own troubles with diaphragm activation, the thing that worked the best, you know what it was? You may noticed, you may notice that when I, when I kind of think of these things or I, I, you know, use things, I try to come up with exercises that are kind of self-limiting in terms of, you know, you can't do it wrong because of the position or because of the cue or whatever it might be. And, and this is what worked best for me. It's a headstand. It's headstand breathing. And so what I would do, I can't do it with my headset on, but um, you put your hands kind of behind your head or first you're in like tabletop position, right? And you can do this against the wall if you need to, of course. But this is a yoga pose. And essentially what you're going to do is from all fours, you're going to bring your forehead and, and kind of roll onto your head a little bit to the ground. And then what you're going to do is put your hands kind of behind your head and you're, end up, you're going to end up weighting your elbows and that point on your head on the floor. And then your goal is to kind of walk up uh, you know, your feet in a, in a scenario that allows you to lift them straight up. Now, you know, I have to do one leg at a time. You might need a spot. You might need a wall. You might need a whole lot. You might need some courage. Um, but yeah, I will put a link in the show notes to a video. Um, I'm going to peruse YouTube for this and, and find one. So head on over to coachjodi.com slash one. Oh, what did I say? This episode was one Oh, I think it's 103, actually. I think I might have said 102 earlier. This is episode 103, so I'm correcting myself. 102 is Tony Blauer. 
also a great show. Anyway, once you're in this position and follow the video and don't hurt yourself, but getting upside down and specifically getting upside down into a position where your chest, neck, and shoulders are occupied with something else is the thing that worked for me. Because in this position, the fascia, the lungs, the uh, diaphragm, actually has to overcome even more resistance. And sometimes when we create even more resistance, it brings more attention to the problem. So what I mean by that is when you are in this headstand and you might want to breathe through pursed lips because it's just going to kind of bring it, uh, it's going to be a little bit more force. But of course, the nose is a healthier way to breathe. Anyway, when you're in that position, your chest can't help because your chest would need to lift but your chest is supporting your shoulders and your entire body. So that's not going to happen. Now your lungs have to also overcome the, the force necessary to expand themselves and allow air to come in. They also hopefully have to, and are more able to expand the rib cage at this point, uh, because we just did all that mobility and a lot of that fossil release. And then the last piece is your diaphragm is actually now anti-gravity. So it's actually having to push against gravity. It's usually, you know, used to working with gravity, but we just turned you on your head. So you are actually creating a scenario where the diaphragm, nothing can help except the lungs and the diaphragm, and they're working extra hard. And what that means is they're going to have to get extra strong. And then you're going to come out of your headstand after about five to 10 breaths and those things are going to be far more active than they were prior to this exercise. And what does that mean? Well, that means they are going to be more likely to give you that 360 degree expansion. They're going to be more likely to create positive intra-abdominal pressure to support your spine and enable you to do a healthy kettlebell swing. In fact, if you're doing high reps, of kettlebell swing, like you want to do an RKC or whatever, uh, you know, you should, but this is a prerequisite. And if you need help, of course, just send me a DM on Instagram at coach or you can email me at Hey, H E Y at coach And I'd be happy to help. All right. That exercise is pretty cool, huh? Do five or 10 reps. Now, once you're done with that, maybe just pause me if, if you want to do them right now. All I want you to do when you're done with that is practice breathing behind the shield. And how we're going to do that is tightening your abs and inhaling and relaxing. So don't tighten your abs this time and just breathe and watch your belly. Did you get a little bit of outward belly projection? Did you get a little expansion in your in your sides, in your, you know, in your external oblique area? What if you put your hands on your back? Can you feel your ribs posteriorly expand just a little bit? Can you feel anything lower? I hope so. If not, time will help. Practice will help. Rome wasn't built in a day. And if we've got 10 years of fascial pulling us in the wrong direction, well, five minutes of this podcast and a couple exercises isn't going isn't to undo it. But what will undo it is being consistent with these exercises. Being consistent with these exercises and stopping what's causing the harm. So every 15 or 20 minutes, if you're at your desk and you have a desk job, get up. I often like put my hands over my head and I shake them out. I go in, I dead hang from my pull-up bar that I just bolted into the wall of my garage. I do whatever I can. I do some some bridges. I've got the um, uh, the BC strength 
hip thruster and I just sit on that thing and I just do like 20 or 30 bridges. I do some rear foot elevated split squats. I do some animal flow. Of course, I do some kettlebell swings too. So stay moving. That is the enemy. If you are sitting for long periods of time, it's going to be very hard to get any progress. In fact, it's like, you know, anytime you spend on this stuff, it might be like polishing the brass or arranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's all going down. So practice these exercise guys. Let me know how it goes. Uh, and again, if you're new to kettlebell swing, start doing some broad jumps to kind of get yourself out of your Prius and into your Ferrari that we all know you are and have a wonderful, wonderful day, wonderful weekend. If you're listening to this on Friday, please don't forget to rate review, subscribe and share this show. It means the world to me. It helps a ton. Much love guys. Have a great day. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. For the show notes for today's episode, head on over to coachjoedi.com and click podcast from the menu. If you'd like to leave a review, which I would absolutely appreciate on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, please do so. These mean the world to me. They help me understand what my audience is gaining from these shows that I'm pouring my heart into and ultimately helps us to reach more people because these platforms like shows that get reviews. So it helps us out so much. If you're digging the shows, this would be so great if you could just leave a review. Also, I still give away $150 every two weeks to kettlebellkings.com to somebody that reviews my show. So if you leave a review, just screenshot it and email it to hey at coachjodi.com and my team will enter you to win this $150 gift card so that you can outfit your home with a couple of kettlebells on me. Also, when you're in the show notes, you'll find links to any products that we discussed. For full transparency, some of these links do contain affiliate links. This helps me to fund these episodes, pay my staff, and ensure that I'm taking care of the people that take care of us. So I absolutely appreciate you clicking links and using codes. It helps keep this train on the tracks. All right, guys, until next week, thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate you guys subscribing and listening to this show every week. I really put a lot into them. So thank you so much. And you'll hear from me again next week. Take care.